And welcome to another episode of White Collar Crimes, where we show you the only color that truly matters in the criminal justice system is green. I'm Ryan Horn, your host. You know, of late, we've done a lot that have kind of focused on the pharmaceutical industry, and let's face it, it's dominated all of our lives, especially the last couple years, you know, in the COVID era that we've lived in, and we've certainly seen our share of scandals. You know, the opioid epidemic has you know, really ravaged this country the last several years, and especially really the last couple years, you know, during the pandemic, again, opioid use exploded. We've seen Purdue Pharma and some others we've talked about on this show that have been brought down and, you know, has some light has been shined on Big Pharma's role in this whole crisis, really. And they've been certainly subject to scandals and others. And we'll talk about one tonight being Martin Shkreli. And some of you may know him as Pharma Bro, the smirking guy from a few years back that people said at the time had, quote, the most punchable face in America. So Pharma Bro, as I said, born Martin Shkreli in New York to Albanian and Croatian immigrant parents. He just had a, from what was reported, a normal working class upbringing. So he eventually graduates from college in 2004 with a bachelor's degree in business administration. And he goes to work in the financial industry. But he stated he always had an interest in chemistry and pharmaceuticals. And some of this, from what I had read, stemmed from him having family members that were treated for various disorders, you know, one of which was depression. And uh, he just, from a fairly young age, seemed to always have an interest in pharmaceuticals. So in the financial industry, he started his own hedge fund, Alea Capital Management, and in 2007, didn't take long, he was sued by the Lehman Brothers, the big financial giant, for uh, failing to cover a stock loss. Now, Lehman won a $2.3 million uh, default judgment in court against uh, Pharma Bros firm here, but Fortunately for him, Lehman folded before they could collect. And you remember 2007, 2008, the big short, we've done you know, a show on that. This is a time the housing bubble burst, the stock market crashed, auto industry crashed. This was a rough time. Gas was $4 a gallon. Of course, we're in that phase now and then some, and we may be talking about that some on some future episodes. But this was a rough time. And Fortunately for him, Lehman Brothers, which at one time was probably considered one of the financial giants that was, quote, too big to fail, but they did fail and they did fold. And fortunately for him, before they could collect this $2.3 million, they did. So I guess it kind of just got swept under the rug, fortunately for him. And we have seen that in other cases we've talked about where some of them along the way get little lucky breaks and, you know, they're not held accountable for their actions early on and therefore they continue in them and that was certainly the case with Farmer Bro. And he continued on for the coming years. He invested and was seeking patents for various pharmaceuticals. You know, I mean, in addition to a personal interest, I'm sure he saw very much how well of money is in pharmaceuticals. Uh, I did see in 2000, I think 2020 it was, we added nine new billionaires to the ledgers here, and I wouldn't doubt, and it, you know, I didn't see when I saw this news story any names or what they made these in, but I would be more than willing to wager a, a decent chunk of money 
at least four or five of those were probably from pharmaceuticals, especially in the last few years with, you know, with this COVID situation. So in 2015, he acquires Daraprim, an anti-malaria, anti-parasitic medication. And this med is apparently also used to treat AIDS-related illnesses and uh, can be even a life-saving drug for those suffering from the AIDS virus. And he quickly, and this was what began his downfall, and it's nothing but pure greed, no doubt about it, he quickly raised the price of this drug from $13.50 a pill to $750 a pill overnight. Kind of like our gas fuel situation uh, the other day. Came home and uh, I think gas shot up about 50 or 60 cents a gallon overnight here where I'm at and, you know, a good part of the country. And, you know, again, that's a whole other area of conversation. And, you know, I am in Illinois for those of you that are new listening here. And we have a very high gas tax in this state. In fact, it was doubled about, you know, three or four years ago, I think. And it's causing it to be even higher. I mean, we're certainly not in California territory and God knows, hopefully we never will be, but we just don't really know at this point. But you can imagine the shock of people who take this drug and how many were unable to afford it. And as I said, it has some life-saving potential for people who suffer from the AIDS virus. That's a 56 fold increase. This is not doubling. This is not tripling. 56 fold. That's going to turn over a pretty good profit, so we thought. But the problem is when you make something that drastically expensive, it's going to get you a lot of negative attention most likely. And when people can't afford it, you're not going to be able to really deliver and make money probably like you hope. And uh, this move was universally criticized by the medical community and even both uh, presidential candidates at this time in 2015, the leading ones at that time, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Probably one of the few things they just, they agreed on, but um, they both condemned this. And again, the medical community, and you know, he was certainly hounded by the press and got a lot of bad press. Like I said, we all remember the picture of him in quarter at the congressional hearings there with the smirk and the cockiness. And, you know, as they said, probably the most punchable face in America. Uh, Collect Records, a record company that had invested in his company, ended their business relationship with him after this. Now, initially, he said that he would lower the cost, you know, probably just to get a little bit of heat off of him. As expected, he initially got a lot of backlash on this, but he uh, quickly would reverse this claim and back off of it rather quickly. Now, later in 2015, he would claim that though he would not lower the price, he would be willing to negotiate 50% discounts for hospitals. You know, nice guy, huh? You know, 50% of an already outrageously high price. You know, it's amazing what you can get used to. You know, I look at some of my Facebook memories from a year ago. I was complaining here in Illinois because about a year ago, it creeped up, gas creeped up over $3 a gallon. Well, looking back on it now, here it is a year later, I would love to have three dollar a gallon gas as it's hit i think the other day when i gassed up 459 you know that huge of a shock so after a while what you one time think is pretty bad when it gets a lot worse maybe it doesn't seem so bad so 50 percent discount for hospitals which obviously hospitals need it as i said this medication had some life-saving uh, elements to it and he uh offered that but you know this was still not getting him 
off this, getting this off his back probably like what he had hoped for. So he was then subpoenaed to testify before Congress on the Committee on Oversight and Government Reform. Which, you know, that's interesting coming from Congress, but uh, that's a whole other episode or conversation. And pretty much on all but a couple questions, he asserted his Fifth Amendment privilege. And again, that is a constitutional right. You know, people have a right to do it. But, let's face it, in the era of public opinion, or the arena of public opinion, certainly now in, in the age of social media and internet information we live in, where information can be rapidly spread around, when somebody does that much, the overall majority of people and in the court of public opinion are going to think somebody's guilty, even though they are completely within their constitutional rights to do so, to not have to answer. When somebody doesn't, especially on just about every question like that, people are generally going to think they have something to hide. But on December 17, 2015, just a little over a week from Christmas, he was arrested and indicted by the U.S. District Court of East New York. And he was charged with securities fraud. And prosecutors also accused him of basically essentially running a Ponzi scheme. And, you know, again, we've talked about that. We did an episode on Charles Ponzi, the founder of a Ponzi scheme. And for those of you maybe listening for the first time, or if you happen to not know what a Ponzi scheme is, it is a simple investment scheme where you take somebody's money with the uh, false advertising that you're going to invest that money, and instead you keep it and use it on yourself or invest in what you want, but you never use it what it's truly for. And you continue to get new people to come into this scam. That way, in case the person that originally gave you that money wants to cash in, you've got some to give them. And you can keep this going for a while, and some schemes have gone. You know, we've talked about the Bernie Madoff one. That was the most epic, you know, Ponzi scheme ever. But eventually, when enough people start wanting their money back and you don't have new people coming into the scam and paying into it, you run out of money to pay people and the you know, the scheme collapses. And uh, a lot of people think the pyramid schemes, the, you know, multi-level marketing and things, you know, border on that. But that's essentially what the government also accused him of doing here. And he was ordered by the court to forfeit nearly $7.4 million in assets. We can, if there's a ABC interview, I think he did, where he was bragging about he was one of the richest guys in New York. You know, just basically, for lack of better words, an arrogant little prick. And, uh, that led to his downfall. And on March 9th, 2018, he was sentenced to seven years in federal prison. Now, he appealed that sentence, but he lost. And at his sentencing hearing, he claimed that he was not motivated by money, which I find that hard to believe with you know his smirk and his arrogance. And then, as I said a little bit ago, when you have the uh, video of him bragging about being one of the richest guys in New York. Uh, I'm sure money was his only motivation. It had to be, I mean, unless he was just really a sadist that enjoyed people really suffering. And, you know, when you take a life-saving medication like this and make it, you know, just astronomically higher overnight like that, people are not going to be able to afford it. I mean, gas, as high as it is now, can you imagine if it shot up 56-fold overnight? You know, you're talking, say, if it, uh, you know, right now it's $4 and something a gallon, you know, it could shoot up to, uh, you know, two, $300 a gallon, say, overnight. You know, imagine your shock on that, you know, and that's what a lot of people who use this medication went through. 
So I don't know any other motive but money. You know, his is a textbook white collar crime, and and the motive is always greed and money in these cases. And uh, I certainly do not buy that story. And, you know, I mean, as far as his tears, who knows if he was genuinely sorry or not. You know, only God, I guess, can judge somebody's true intentions. But the fact of the matter is, you know, I don't think the judge really bought it. The judge did note, uh, you know, even though he did uh, state this in court, so to speak, the judge also noted he minimized his role in the whole situation, which, as we've said in this show many, many times, in white-collar crime is a very common defense mechanism or defense tactic that white-collar criminals use. And criminals in all crimes and walks of life, you know, deny and downplay their crimes. I mean, I've been in the criminal justice field and worked in it and studied it for a really long time. And, you know, that's just a very common, you know, trait among all criminals. But it's it's very common among white-collar criminals. Very few will actually own up to the crimes they did or they minimize them or they deny there was a victim or, you know, in, in cases of embezzlement and things like that, we've had some that will justify it on, you know, well, they were an evil company and, you know, they needed to be, you know, put in their place. They see themselves as kind of a Robin Hood, so to speak, you know, rob from the rich, take from the poor. Kind of like in the movie Office Space, you know, when we remember, uh, you know, where that's what that was the motive why they wanted to uh, scam Inotech. You know, they felt like it was a, an evil corporation and you know, needed to be put in its place. So they came up with a little scheme to rip them off with, from some money. Some people justify their white collar crimes like that. And I'm not sure what he really, you know, used to justify it, but he really denied his role in it and denied that he was motivated by money. So, you know, interesting take on it, but, uh, nonetheless, that's what, uh, that's what he claimed anyway. So today, as we record this episode, he is serving his federal sentence. He should be getting out fairly soon. And uh, it was last reported he was in Allenwood, which is a federal prison in Pennsylvania. At the time of his sentencing, his net worth was estimated to be between 45 and $70 million. You know, pretty rich guy for for that young, which I believe at the time was, you know, probably early thirties, maybe when he got into all this trouble, when he, you know, was brought down and he amassed a enormous amount of wealth, but, uh, you know, didn't last around too long. And, uh, you know, we'll see what, how that, you know, plays when he gets out. Cause we always wonder, we've done some shows on some others here that when they've gotten out, we kind of wonder what they're going to do and where they're, you know, going to go from here. And, to be honest with you, you got to worry about them preying on people again, just like, you know, a lot of common street criminals reoffend, you know, when they get out of jail or prison, it's no different than white collar criminals. Some of them, you know, will reoffend. If uh, Bernie Madoff would have ever been let out again, I have no doubt he would have ripped people off again. Uh, Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street, he's out now. If he's not ripping people off right now, I would be more than willing to bet very soon he will. Um, you know, that's a pattern a lot of these guys have throughout their life. And I, you know, that's not something they just stop doing. And I would be more than willing to bet that uh, it's possible now while he's sitting in prison, he might be hatching up his next little scam to, you know, make a quick buck like that. And he is among the many that have victimized the public through the pharmaceutical industry. You know, we've done cases on here with doctors. And you know, like I said, again, Purdue Pharma 
we did one on, and we did did one here recently just on the overall opioid crisis. Some of the companies that have played a role in this, some of the CEOs of these companies, some of which are doing time now. But, uh, you know, the pharmaceutical industry has ripped off a lot of people, and that's very sad. That's one thing, you know, that should be there to help people, and that's it. You know, I mean... Aside from making money, which I have no problem with any of them making money, it's a, you know, free country. We have a, you know, free enterprise system, and I'm all for that, and I'm glad some of them do. But when the greed gets in the way of what they should actually be concentrating on, which is helping people and helping them stay healthy, this is the kind of thing that you run into. And, uh, you know, it's sad, but there's so much money to be made in, in medicine and pharmaceuticals that... You can't help but wonder if greed like this is really going to cloud the judgment of so many people in these fields because we've seen medical fraud of all kind. We've seen doctors go to jail for, you know, ripping off the government and insurance agencies on billing and performing unnecessary surgeries and procedures. And, you know, there's just so much money. I mean, the the medical industry is about one-sixth or one-seventh of the entire U.S. economy. And, you know, that's huge. And... You know, everybody at some point in their life, you live long enough, is going to have some type of medical issue where you're going to need some type of medical attention. The most healthy people among us occasionally get sick or injured. And it's just an industry that we're all going to need at some point. And you can only hope and trust that they're going to be honest and have everybody's best interest at heart. But as we clearly saw with Farmer Bro here, some of them, and, uh, and sickeningly, very arrogantly, do not, you know. But you know, I've always said God keeps score and justice is done and he's done his time in prison and hopefully as a convicted felon, he won't be able to run, you know, any type of licensed financial dealings or, you know, have any, you know, business in the pharmaceutical industry, especially things that requ- any positions that require any kind of licensing. But, you know, who knows what way he can find and way he'll backdoor his way in. We've seen that happen too, where some convicted felons still work and run companies behind the scenes. They come in as a quote consultant when, it's actually their money and their brains that are behind the curtain, behind the scenes, running the whole operation. So he may do something like that. Who knows? But, you know, hopefully the people that, you know, needed those meds at that time were able to get them because he certainly put it out of the reach of, of very many that needed them. And it's just sad that there's so many willing to profit from sickness and pain. And as long as that greed and that desire is there to do that there's plenty of pain and and suffering out there of all kinds physical and emotional and as long as people are willing to pay for that and people are going to be willing unfortunately to try to rip them off for that very sad but it's just the uh reality that we live in so well we got some more episodes coming up uh one i do want to touch on we'll have uh probably another follow-up on the recent uh, scandal we talked about, the Operation Greylord. Going to talk a little bit more about some judicial corruption and, uh, you know, maybe even some sports scandals again down the road. And, you know, who knows what else. If you got an idea for a show, you can reach out and contact me. Uh, my email is uh, ryanvt at gmail.com. You can reach me on our Anchor FM page. Uh, It's also got a link. You can donate money if you like. But like I always say, more importantly, we just appreciate you tuning in and listening to us. And spread the word. Let your friends know, people that have an interest in this. There's plenty of white-collar crime out there, way more than any of us realize. And we want to make sure it gets attention because it doesn't get attention like common street crimes do. So we want to make sure that, that it does. And 
We're always willing to take up new ideas for shows. Uh, You can also contact us on our Facebook page. We have White Collar Crimes on our Facebook page. And like I said, if you're in need of voiceover service of any kind, always glad to provide that. You can contact me on my website, ryan-horn.com. And also my friend uh, Greg Ulinchich, keep an eye out on Anchor FM. He will have a podcast coming up on political and current events of the day called You Can't State the Obvious. I'm actually looking forward to probably being a guest on that show here soon. So lots of stuff going on. And uh, always, you know, support your local animal shelter, as I say. We got a very beautiful boxer or Boston Terrier, most likely mixed puppy here. And she's available. You can check me out on my Facebook page on that. It's also on the Puppy Rescue 911 Facebook page. She's available for adoption now. So go down to your local shelter, folks. Your best friend's waiting right around the corner for you. So as always, God bless. Thanks for tuning in. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode of White Collar Crimes.